Well, good morning, Greenwich, and welcome to the Wednesday, May 19th edition of the Basement Academy. I hope you will find this time worthwhile. I love our morning psalm, Psalm 139. For the director of music, Psalm of David. O Lord, you have searched me and you know me. You know when I sit and when I rise, you perceive my thoughts from afar. You discern my going out and my lying down. You are familiar with all my ways. Before a word is on my tongue, you know it completely, O Lord. You hem me in, behind and before. You have laid your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me, too lofty for me to attain. Where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go up to the heavens, you are there. If I make my bed in the depths, you are there. If I rise on the wings of the dawn, if I settle on the far side of the sea, even there your hand will guide me, your right hand will hold me fast. If I say, surely the darkness will hide me and the light become night around me, even the darkness will not be dark to you. The night will shine like the day, for darkness is as light to you. For you created my inmost being, you knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in the secret place. When I was woven together in the depths of the earth, your eyes saw my unformed body. All the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. How precious to me are your thoughts, O God! How vast is the sum of them! Were I to count them, they would outnumber the grains of sand. When I awake, I am still with you. If only you would slay the wicked, O God! Away from me, you bloodthirsty men! They speak of you with evil intent. Your adversaries misuse your name. Do I not hate those who hate you, O Lord, and abhor those who rise up against you? I have nothing but hatred for them. I count them my enemies. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there is any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. Amen. Psalm 139. We've read it a number of times over these many months uh, during the pandemic as we've engaged in our Basement Academy reflections. And every time I read it, I love it. <laughs> it's the second time I've, I've read it uh, today. And I do my five psalms in the morning before Coming into the studio here, into the basement, um, there's something about this psalm that reminds us that God is with us. God is the one in whom we live and move and have our being. He's watching us. He's hemming us in. Even when we want to run away and just be done with it all, can't get away from God. Wherever we go, God is present to us, even if we are not aware of that presence and then the sweet meditation uh, that God knows us 
as we're being knit together in our mother's womb. And all the days ordained for us are written in his book before one of them even comes to be. Such knowledge is too wonderful for us. It, it's beyond our ability. And so as we have been reflecting on Ecclesiastes, that Old Testament wisdom book, in chapter 3 we read, you know, after a time for everything under heaven, God has set eternity in the hearts of men, yet not so, so that they cannot fathom the beginning from the end. And so we can conceive of being knit together in our mother's womb, but we can't fully understand that. We can conceive of a God outside of time, but we can't fully comprehend that. But God sees the totality of our lives even before it begins. I believe we're to be comforted by this, that that which seems uncertain to us as we look into the world, into the future, that which seems sometimes scary or, or um, uh, we, we become anxious or fearful, God knows, God sees, God is present even to our future. And so search us, O oh God, see if there's any offensive way in us and lead us in the way everlasting. And so may, may that be our, our prayer uh, today as we get into a new day. And so let's continue with Ecclesiastes, uh, reading a chapter a day and then offering uh, a few reflections. And so today, chapter eight. Who is like the wise man? Who knows the explanation of things? Wisdom brightens a man's face and changes its hard appearance. Obey the king's command, I say, because you took an oath before God. Do not be in a hurry to leave the king's presence. Do not stand up for a bad cause, for he will do whatever he pleases. Since a king's word is supreme, who can say to him, What are you doing? Whoever obeys his command will come to no harm, and the wise heart will know the proper time and procedure, for there is a proper time and procedure for every matter, though a man's misery weighs heavily upon him. Since no man knows the future, who can tell what is to come? No man has power over the wind to contain it. So no one has power over the day of his death. As no one is discharged in time of war, so wickedness will not release those who practice it. All this I saw as I applied my mind to everything done under the sun. There was a time when a man lords it over others to his own hurt. Then too I saw the wicked buried those who used to come and go from the holy place and receive praise in the city where they did this. This too is meaningless. When the sentence for a crime is not quickly carried out, the hearts of the people are filled with schemes to do wrong. Although a wicked man commits a hundred crimes and still lives a long time, I know that it will go better with God-fearing men who are reverent before God. Yet because the wicked do not fear God, it will not go well with them, and their days will not lengthen like a shadow. There is something else meaningless that occurs on earth. Righteous men who get what the wicked deserve, and wicked men who get 
what the righteous deserve. This too, I say, is meaningless. So I commend the enjoyment of life, because nothing is better for a man under the sun than to eat and drink and be glad. Then joy will accompany him in his work all the days of the life God has given him under the sun. When I applied my mind to know wisdom and to observe man's labor on earth, his eyes not seeing sleep day or night, then I saw all that God has done. No one can comprehend what goes on under the sun. Despite all his efforts to search it out, man cannot discover its meaning. Even if a wise man claims he knows, he cannot fully comprehend it. Chapter 8 of Ecclesiastes. And so by now you have a sense of the book. It's... Initially comes across as somewhat dour, somewhat um, sober and burdened and um, pessimistic. I, I think a lot of folks describe the book as pessimistic. I like to think it's more realistic. It's certainly not optimistic, right? So there are some folks, you know, that they're cheery and everything's just always going to turn up roses. Others are, so there's Tiggers and there's Eeyores, if I could say it that way. And the Eeyores in this, in this life, uh, and this feels a little more Eeyore than Tigger for sure. Um, you know, things just aren't going to work out. But, but I believe what I, when I read Ecclesiastes, I have this sense of someone who is taking an honest assessment, looking at life and drawing conclusions. Again, under the sun, that is from a human perspective only there. We're also under heaven, and so that phrase jumps in. Also, when we consider God as the one who is over all, but there's it's trying to just offer an honest assessment. And so, obey the king's command, I say, because you took an oath before God. Do not be in a hurry to leave the king's presence. Do not stand up for a bad cause, for he will do whatever he pleases. Whoever obeys his command will come to no harm. We don't have a king, okay? Israel did, we don't. But I think the understanding is that God ordains authority. Human communities need structure. They need someone or some mechanism by which community life is ordered and and disputes are adjudicated. Um. And so God ordains authority. We, we read this in the book of Romans and uh, Peter's letters as well. And so one way that we demonstrate our honor of God's authority to, is to honor authority on earth. <clears throat> now, this is Solomonic. Whether Solomon wrote this book, uh, I, probably not, okay? But it certainly is biased towards the king, uh, and towards the king of, of Israel. And so, yeah, there would be some vested interest here in uh, the teacher commending obedience to the king's command. But it's more than just a self-serving uh, expression. It's like, you know, parents telling their kids, hey, just do what we say. It's not just that, hey, kids, shut up, just do what we say so we don't 
you know, so we can go about our business as moms and dads and not be hassled by you, you know, rambunctious children. It is that there is an order to life. And if we learn to obey the king's commands, that if we learn to, I, I, I see this by extension, we learn to honor the referee and the umpire. We learn to honor um, the teachers and the principals. Uh, we learn to honor uh, the, the, the person behind the desk. And, and they say, this is how it is. Now, there's ways that we have of, of asking questions and we can clarify and, and say, does it have to be this way? We can appeal, okay? So I'm not necessarily urging a, a thoughtless and blind obedience, okay? Because obviously we know there are corrupt authorities. But in general, life will go well with us when we respect and honor authority. Generally speaking, life will go well when we respect and honor authority. If you obey the king's command, you will come to no harm. I understand that people say, yeah, but sometimes the commander's you know, order should be defied. They're asking you to do an unjust and, and, and illegal thing. I understand that. But those are the exceptions, almost that prove the rule that authority that God has invested authorities with a power to shape and structure and order uh, community life. And so I take this portion of uh, Ecclesiastes as a parallel to what we read in Romans. The person who is doing well, the, the king bears the sword to punish the evildoer. And so if you're obeying the law, you have nothing to fear. If you're paying your taxes, you don't fear an audit. Um, if you're going the speed limit and the police pull you over, you have nothing to be afraid of. Now, I know you can always think of a reason, but yeah, I should be afraid if the police pull me over. I, I should be afraid of the IRS. I have a friend who had a bad experience. You know, I understand all that. But in general, again, this is life under the sun. <laughs> Humanly speaking, the person who respects the teacher, who respects the game, who respects the laws, who respects the ump, uh, who respects the coach, uh, who, who just honors that. And, okay, well, I don't like this, but I'll, I'll do it. Something else happens in the heart of that person. It prepares them well to obey God's commands because the heart that, that kicks against human authority is the heart that will resist divine authority because underneath it all the root of sin is a defiance of God I will be an authority unto myself so the process of learning to respect human authorities is a is a process of dying to self of weaning ourselves away from thinking that we are gods we are the one who can determine right and wrong so I stand with the teacher <laughs> obey the king's commands No man knows the future who can, so, since no man knows the future, who can tell what is to come? No man has power over the wind to contain it. There are forces beyond your control. And the wise person understands that. The wise person understands that they cannot ultimately control life. Now, there is much that is within our control, but, but it's actually much less than we think. 
I cannot control my neighbor. I cannot control my children. I cannot control my wife. I cannot control the government. I cannot control <laughs> the, the guy driving in front of me who I want to drive faster and to go through the, you know, go through the light or yeah, all those things. But it's this kind of poetic way. No man has power over the wind to contain it. There are forces beyond our control. No one has the power over the day of his death. Well, somebody is thinking now, well, yeah, you could commit suicide. Okay, yeah. But, but that's an exception, right? You know, we live our lives. We don't know the future. That's, that's since no man knows the future, who can tell what is to come? And so there's something about this also. Is, don't assume always the future is bad. Okay, we can't control that future, but we can live faithfully in our, uh, in our place where God's placed us, the little garden that we're called to till and hoe and plant and uproot and harvest, the family that we're called to, to love, the neighbor that we're called to love. Where we are, we can give ourselves, but there are forces beyond our control. And so the wise person understands that. And then, again, perhaps coupling with the psalm, Psalm 139, God, in that unknown future, if I try to go to the end of the sea, even there, you're so God is present to us in that unknown future, that uncertain future. God will be present to us. And so we live today honoring authority, obeying the king's commands, etc., going about our business and, and seeking to divest ourselves of anxiety about the future. And often in our anxiety about the future, we seek to control that future, which is like trying to contain the wind. So there are forces beyond our control. Let us leave those to God and trust his good and wise providence. Uh, there is a time when a man lords it over others to his own hurt. This is another thing that is done under the sun. People love to lord it over others. Again, this is a manifestation of sin. We wish to be as gods. We eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. We fashion ourselves to be those who perfectly understand good and evil. And so because of that, this, this usurping of the role of God, becoming gods unto ourselves, we then look at others who are not doing what we want them to do. This is that control thing again. You're not behaving the way I want you to behave. I'm going to lord it over. I'm going to tell you what to do. Jesus gave instructions to his disciples as they were moving towards Jerusalem. A couple of them were arguing um, who, who was greatest. A couple had appealed to, to sit on the right and the left of Jesus when he comes into the kingdom. And he takes the, the rest aside and he says, you know, the rulers of the Gentiles lorded over them, but it shall not be so among you. That there's something in the heart of, of the human that wishes to tell others what to do the lording it over, <clears throat> extreme forms known as bullying and violence and 
you know, demanding, but, but usually it's more, more benign, but pedantic, um, and bothersome ways of just, you know, nagging people, telling them, getting huffy when people don't do the things we want. <clears throat> but we lord it over others to our own hurt. God did not set us. Now, if you have a position of authority, then yeah, you have responsibility for others, but you are not to lord it over them. You are not to be demanding. You are not to, to just be um, arbitrary. The, 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 those in authority are called to serve. Those who in authority are called to clarify and, and, and help to bring about the flourishing of that particular community. And so we lord it over others to our own hurt. It, it never goes well for the one who lords it over. Um, the reputation becomes known. Um, it, it often incites resentment. Um, those who lord it over, you know, people may speak kindly in your presence because they don't want to get spanked. They don't want to get yelled at. That, that, but, but the bully has no friends, right? And the bully is the weakest person on the playground, right? Uh, the, the person who bosses others around and bullies them and is arbitrary and lords it over, they, they're, they're lonely. They're, they're, they're a really sad souls. Um, and, and so uh, I suspect we've all had that experience in, in some fashion, either being lorded over. And you, you know, you, you, when you see that person in the elevator, you don't want to have a conversation with them. You're just going to sit there and, you know, be polite, but, but there's no personal engagement, no relationship. And so we lorded over others to our own hurt. So let's not do that. Let's love, let's serve, let's be kind, let's be gracious. And then, uh, a few paragraphs here of the enduring reality of injustice in the world. When the sentence for a crime is not quickly carried out, the hearts of the people are filled with schemes to do wrong. Well, somebody does wrong. <clears throat> they're tried and convicted, but the sentence is not carried out, or maybe they're not tried and not convicted. That is, everybody knows they did wrong, but, but nothing happens. Hey, I guess we can get away with things. Let's just go. Nothing's going to happen. Uh, how does Psalm 12 put it? Psalm 12, verse 8. The wicked freely strut about when what is vile is honored among men. It's the same notion that when wickedness or crime in this case, when a crime is committed and the sentence is not quickly carried out, the hearts of the people are filled with schemes to do wrong. Again, there's authority, right? So obey the king's command. So it's the same concept again. So, so you have, God has ordained authority to provide structure. There are boundaries, there are borders, there are laws, there are rules that, that we have to have order within the community. Otherwise we have anarchy, okay? And so when the community standards are violated, whether those are unwritten standards or written standards, spoken or unspoken, when the standards are violated and nothing happens, it, it, it allows the, the hearts of people that, again, are prone because of sin. We're prone to want to do what we want to do, to do what is right in our own eyes. When the sentence is not quickly carried out, all manner of 
um, harm and, and wickedness come to the community. So as we've seen in our own society, you know, you have a situation where the, the, I'm thinking of the George Floyd death, which is right about a year ago. I think it was May 25th last year. And so Officer Chauvin has been convicted, but in the wake of that death, there was great looting and destruction of property, and, and essentially it, there was lawlessness prevailed. Great harm was done. And when people see that's happening, others join in, right? And if Officer Chauvin had not been convicted, and, and I recognize, you know, we had this meditation a couple weeks ago, I recognize there's folks who, who see things differently and, you know, in courts of law, things do not always work out, but he was convicted, okay? And so I stand with the jury, that's the system we have. But if, if police who do wrong things, if law enforcement officers are not themselves under the law, it incites others. And so I think there's a, there's a little bit of a theme that emerges here. And so there is a reality of injustice, right? Sometimes a crime is committed and justice is not carried out. The sentence is not carried out. Um, sometimes the righteous get what the wicked deserve. Sometimes people are wrongly convicted. Um, have, have, we're aware of those kind of situations. Now, with further evidence, DNA evidence and the like, there are people who are wrongly, wrongly convicted who are now set free, but they've lost years from their life. And so the righteous, a person who has not done wrong, is convicted of a crime that they did not commit, and they're, they're getting what the wicked deserve, and the wicked are set free. The wicked, the, the person who actually did the, the crime, has been living out in, in freedom. And so injustice is an enduring reality of life east of Eden. We wish it were not so, but it is so. I'm not asking for it to be so. I'm not commending for it to be so. But that's why Ecclesiastes is such an important book. It gives an honest assessment. It says, hey, sometimes they get it wrong. Sometimes righteous people are convicted and get what the wicked deserve. And so it's a sobering assessment of life east of Eden. Okay, again, this is the value of the book of Ecclesiastes. It reminds us that at the root of the human family is a spiritual fracture, a relationship with God that, 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 that God intended for there to be harmony and that, that, that Adam and Eve would have obeyed the king's command, would have, would have honored God. But in the absence of that, all manner of harm and tragedy and misery has come to the human family. And so this is simply looking and making an observation that this is so. So east of Eden, the righteous get what the wicked deserve and sometimes the wicked go free. It's sad. It's a sad reality. But it's a reminder that we live east of Eden. Therefore, let us pay attention to these deeper spiritual realities and let us get right with God. And so there is this language, it will go better with God-fearing men. It will go better to be a God-fearer. The God-fearing person obeys the king's command because they recognize that the king or the, the ump or the coach or the teacher is an expression, that authority is an expression of God. And so, and so the God-fearing person does not try to 
um, contain the wind. The God-fearing person knows that there are things outside of their control, and so they will not not anxiously try to control the future. They will trust a God who is already in that future for them. God, I know that your purposes and heart are good towards me and towards this world. I trust you even though I'm a little nervous about the future or this current situation I'm in. And so the God-fearing person honors the king, respects authority, does not try to um, contain the wind or control things they cannot control. The God-fearing person does not lord it over others because they know, the God-fearing person knows that there's a lord over them that will hold them accountable for their behavior. Does that make sense? And the God-fearing person knows that there must be order in the community and that justice is better served than not served and that sometimes the righteous get what the wicked deserve and vice versa and the God-fearing person knows that God is going to settle the score someday and so they don't become over dramatic about that they're sad about uh, injustice in society and they work towards a just society but the god-fearing person knows that ultimately we will not be able to achieve justice by our own means and the work of our own hands but ultimately justice only comes in the just and peaceful kingdom of god which is why we pray thy kingdom come <laughs> thy will be done so I, I see a sweet theme that ties all of this together. It is to be a God-fearing person. And I've reflected recently, I think, uh, in the Basement Academy that we seem to see um, the fear of God departing <laughs> from our society. I, I could be misreading that, but it does appear that, that there's less fear of God <clears throat> fear of accountability, fear of uh, or recognition of, of divine accountability. And so let us at least be among the God-fearers. And in so doing, we will uh, refresh and renew our commitment to be the salt and light uh, that Jesus intends for us to be. Okay, let's close with prayer. God, how we thank you that you are above and over and beyond uh, our own experience. Uh, as the psalmist has reminded us as we're reminded here in Ecclesiastes. So help us to be the God-fearing people that you intend for us to be, that it may go well. And when we suffer the injustice, help us to trust that you will set it right. Uh, when the wind blows in a manner that we do not uh, enjoy or, or wish, Help us to restrain our hands from trying to control something we cannot. And Lord, keep us faithful and, and attentive and obedient to all manner of authority. And Lord, may we not lord it over others, but may we be servants and, and, and those who love uh, our neighbor as ourselves. Make it so. Make it so in our lives this day and forevermore. As we pray in the name of Jesus, who taught us to pray together, saying, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come and thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen.
May the sovereign God, the almighty God, the powerful God, the tender and gracious and compassionate God, watch over you, keep you, be with you this day and forevermore. Amen.